As we, as we move into the sermon, one of the ways the Bible works is like a, a mirror. So you, you listen to it, or you, or you read it yourself, and it, it poses back to you a picture of who you are. It asks you questions about your own life. And so our passage today pose a, a question. It re, they reflect back on us a question about endurance. About holding on and not giving up. They ask us whether we are enduring in God's promises to us. So if you're a Christian, God has made promises to you in Jesus Christ. He has promised you that your sins are forgiven, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that the world cannot condemn you and that he will not condemn you, that you are his, that you're free to live into his forgiveness and his mercy. If, if you're not a Christian, then you should be concerned because as you hear God's welcome and his promise of mercy, his willingness to show mercy, if you turn away from that and reject it, then God's wrath is against you. You you have rejected his mercy. The God of all creation who would offer you his love, you've walked away from him. And that puts you in a precarious place in your life and in your death. These passages are asking whether we're enduring in God's promises to us. So I'd like to take these passages, a few of them, as examples, as pictures of endurance. So take the story of Jacob as a first picture of endurance in God's promises. God's promises to Jacob are that he and his family will be a great nation and that they will bless the entire world. These are incredible promises. But those promises have been threatened by Jacob's past. So Jacob has tricked just about everyone he's ever known. And now he is about to encounter his brother for the first time in many years. And it's the first time they will see each other since Jacob played about the worst trick a person could play on someone. Kids, will you raise your hand if you have a brother or a sister? All right, we got a lot of those, right? I see adults raising their hands too who are feeling childlike today. So Jacob is a younger brother. Jacob is a younger brother, but he tricked his dad into making him the older brother. Can you believe that? When Jacob lived, this meant that he got lots of privileges that his brother was supposed to get. So he got money, animals, all kinds of things that his brother was supposed to get. He tricked his brother and he got them instead. And so now, Jacob, he is supposed to be helping his family become a blessing to everyone else. But now it looks like he and his brother might repeat the story of two other brothers from earlier in Scripture, Cain and Abel. Do you see what's at threat? This is the first time Jacob will meet his brother Esau in many, many years. And the last time he met him, he tricked him out of what was rightfully his. And now it appears 
that they could live into the story of Cain and Abel. They could murder one another. Remember, too, that Jacob has always solved his problems by tricking people. This is the way he has solved every one of his problems in his life. But this time, it does not look like his tricks will work. He's played out. So what does Jacob do? Well, he he prays. We hear one of the first prayers recorded from Jacob's family. He asks God for help. He asks God to remember the promises that God made to his family. But something really strange happens in this story. The night before Jacob is going to see his brother again, a stranger comes to him in the night and wrestles with him all night long. Jacob doesn't give up. So even though they wrestle all night, no one really wins. Now before morning, the stranger tells Jacob to let him go. But Jacob tells the stranger that he has to bless him first. He insists, I will not let go until you bless me. So the stranger gives Jacob a new name, Israel, which means you have fought with God and with man and you have prevailed. Jacob then asks the stranger his name. Now, know that when you get someone's name in this time, it means you have authority over them. So this stranger refuses to give Jacob his name. Now, when the stranger leaves, Jacob realizes who this was, that this was God. And he gives the place, his campsite, a name that means, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So Jacob, he doesn't give up even when he is wrestling God himself. And God blesses him for that. You know, walking with God can be exactly like this. It can feel sometimes like a wrestling match. Walking with Jesus, walking in the promises of God, can feel like a wrestling match. It can be difficult and it can engage all our energies. And we have to hold on, not give up. God has made these promises to us if we're Christians through Jesus. He's willing to make promises to you if you're not a Christian that you can come to Jesus. And if we're willing to hold on, to keep pursuing him, he will bless us. So we have to ask ourselves in this story, are we holding on? Are we giving it all we've got? Are are, are we refusing to let go of God in all the ways in which it is hard to walk with him in our lives? in the ways in which our family is struggling and is broken, are we holding on to God like Jacob, asking him to bless us? Now, it says that Jacob wrestled with God and with man and prevailed. Well, prevail is a strong word when it comes to wrestling with God. There is this part where God touches Jacob's hip Now, this is a a fascinating thing to me. I love this part of the story. Jacob has lived fast all his life. He's tricked everybody else, right? He's always prevailed over people. But for the rest of his life, Jacob will walk with a limp. And he will be slowed down. You see, to walk with God requires you to walk slowly. To exercise dependence. And walking with a limp is an ultimate symbol of dependence, isn't it? Of not being 
able to do life on your own, of being weak. And this is what endurance with God takes. It takes realizing that you're weak, actually, to submit to God. And this is what Jacob is learning to do. Are you enduring with God? Are you enduring in his promises, submitting to your weaknesses, submitting to him? Now, the next picture of endurance is from a widow in our gospel story. She endures in God's promises. She does not give up. She deals with this judge who neither fears God nor respects people, we're told. Justice was not this judge's main concern. We like to think our systems of justice are perfect. They will take care of people, won't they, right, Scott? You know this, right? Justice was not this man's primary concern. But she badgers him over and over. He continually refuses and refuses. Most people would give up in this situation. They'd stop waiting in line to see the judge. But the widow never gives up. She wears him down. Not that he starts to actually care about her. He's, he's still only concerned about himself. Even, but even though he's only concerned about himself, he still gives her what she asks of him. Listen again to what the judge says. Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The judge's words, they literally mean she is beating me black and blue and she will be the end of me. Isn't that amazing? Jesus follows this say, by saying, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You know, Jesus is not saying that God is anything like that unrighteous judge. That's not what he's saying. In fact, he's saying the opposite. God actually does care about that widow. He does care about her justice. But if an unrighteous judge is willing to give her justice just because she's annoying, how much more willing will God be to give her what she's asking for? The real question, Jesus says, is about people. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find people who haven't given up? Will he find people who are holding on and enduring in God's promises? You know, so often today, the questions posed about God as doubts are accusations on his character. Think about this. If God is good, how can he allow bad things to happen? These are the kinds of questions people ask, which, okay, fair. But what if the real questions are more about people? <laughs> Why do we give up so easily? Why do we not endure in faith and praying that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven? Why do we not endure in asking God to bring justice to the earth? Why do we give up in our prayers? Jesus says that God will give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. His children, 
this God who is full of justice and mercy, he will answer his people's cries. The question is, are you enduring in God's promises to you as his child? Are you holding on to them, claiming them and saying, I'm God's child, these promises are mine. God, I will not let go until you bless me. Are you holding on in your prayers? Are you refusing to give up? Now the last picture of endurance is from 2 Timothy. And this one is unique because it includes examples of people who do give up. People who do not endure. God has made these incredible promises that his own word, because it's filled with the power of his spirit, it's going to do this incredible work of making people whole. Broken people whole. He will use his word to transform your life and make you into a new person. God promises that. It will straighten people out where they're twisted twisted and crooked. It will reshape people into his own image. And it will equip people to do his work in the world. These are amazing promises that God has made about his word. The challenge is continuing to listen to someone who confronts and corrects you every time they, listen, they speak to you, or many of the times. Did you hear what, as Matt read for us, as God promises about his word, that it will correct, it will rebuke us? The temptation for people is to seek out others who will confirm what we want to believe and what we'd like to hear about ourselves. The challenge for teachers and preachers is to preach things that will draw a crowd, the things that people like to hear. And sometimes the temptation is not necessarily to change the message entirely, or at least on the surface of it, but at least to round off the rough edges of the message and leave off some bits that people might not like a lot. I mentioned last week that the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy, this, this letter, he's writing to this young pastor, Timothy, to encourage him, to call him not to give up or to compromise his ministry as people are calling him to do. I would ask you, especially if you're part of Lamb, if you, when you read these books, I, I'd be so grateful if you would turn these into prayers for me for Travis, for all clergy and people who teach God's word. Turn these into prayers for us. Paul tells Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. Preach the word. Be ready whether it's convenient or not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and instruction. And then Paul warns Timothy about what's to come in his ministry. Look, Timothy, here's a picture of what it's going to be like. There will come a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following after their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. And they will turn away from hearing the truth, but they will turn aside to myths. 
Instead of practicing endurance, which is what Paul calls Timothy to do, this group of people deviates from the path. So it's like they're going along on this rough path. It's a hard path. And they've been promised, though, that the destination is on this path. I'm assuring you, you will get where you're trying to go. But while they're on the path, they see another path that looks really nice and smooth. And it looks like it's going to go in the same direction. And so they decide, let's go that way instead. What they don't know is that that path leads to a sudden cliff. They want to hear new things. Things that suit their passions. So they turn away from hearing the truth. And they turn aside to myths. So G.K. Chesterton um, wrote a collection of mystery stories. In which the surprising detective is a priest named Father Brown. There's, there are fun stories. Father Brown says in one of the stories, it's the first effect of not believing in God that you lose your common sense. Chesterton is quoted elsewhere saying, when you stop believing in God, you don't believe in nothing. You will believe in anything. But you, you don't actually have to stop believing in God entirely for this to happen. You don't have to stop believing in God entirely to begin losing your common sense. It also happens when you just decide to stop listening to God and turn away from the things he says. When you believe in God only as you want him to be and not as he has revealed himself to be. And this is what I would say we've begun to do in our world. We have begun to believe in God as we would have him. Not as a God who would correct and challenge us, but as a God who would only affirm us. God as we would have him. And we're losing some of our common sense as a result. We must endure in his word, in the promise that his word is actually faithful and true. We must endure in the teachings of his apostles that have been passed on in the church through history. And we must do this Ultimately, because Jesus is the Word made flesh. If we're to endure with Jesus, we must endure in the Word itself. To endure in the promises of God's Word is to endure in Jesus. And Jesus is the one who endured the cross for us. And He's the one who brings us into the promises of God from the beginning. The promises of the Father to forgive us and assure us that we are actually children of God. So these are three pictures of endurance. Jacob holding on, saying, I will not let go until you bless me. The widow who perpetually asks of God over and over, give me what you have promised to me. And of Timothy, continue in the word. Do not give up, even though others around you may give up. He has promised you that he'll be faithful. So are you enduring? Are you enduring with the one who has made these promises to you in Jesus? That he will be your life. That he will show you his mercy. And that this path, no matter how bumpy it may seem along the way, is the path that leads to true life and to salvation. If you're a Christian, are you enduring with Jesus? 
And if you're not, will you come to him and receive his mercy? Amen.